You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 936 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday, and I'll be joined momentarily by Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops. Andrew was on this podcast earlier this season. He is very smart, and we will talk about a number of different things in a little bit when he joins the show. Before then, though, a preview of Tuesday's game between the Hawks and the Cavs. An early tip-off, by the way, a 7 o'clock Eastern time start in Cleveland on Tuesday. As we'll talk about with Andrew later on, the NBA will actually announce the All-Star Reserves during the game. That is scheduled to be a 7 o'clock release, so uh, that'll be sort of a nice uh, subplot to things that'll be going on on Tuesday night. But the Hawks have to get a win in this spot, and which they will be favored to do so. It's the second matchup between these two teams this season. Cleveland actually won the first time around back in January. It was a back-to-back for the Hawks. It was the second night of a back-to-back, I should say, for Atlanta. Atlanta led by 12 at the half in that game, but lost after they just could not score after halftime. The, the Hawks were 35 points after the halftime break against a bad Cleveland defense. That was definitely playing better at that point in time, to be fair. But the Hawks had 22 turnovers in the last three quarters of that game. They were kicking the ball around quite a bit. It was a long time ago. The Hawks were healthier then, as with the Cavs, so a lot, cha- a lot has changed. I will say injury-wise... Coming into this game, the Hawks are a little bit healthier, and I want to stress a little bit healthier. There's one guy who is probable. It's Cam Reddish, who, is, who has right Achilles soreness. He's listed as probable. But Rajon Rondo has been upgraded to questionable with his low back pain. He's missed the last seven games. We have no idea if he'll play, but questionable is better than out. So we'll, we'll monitor that as uh, throughout the game on uh, sorry throughout the day on Tuesday before tip off. And then Hunter Bogdanovich and Chris Dunn are still out of the lineup for Atlanta on the Cavs side. They're without Kevin Love. They're without Larry Nance Jr. They're without Andre Drummond, who they're sitting down for trade reasons. They're without Matthew Delvadova. An old friend, Torian Prince, is listed as doubtful with an ankle issue. Nance has been huge uh, in terms of an absence for the Cavs. He is their best defender, and uh, when he got hurt, things went very much south. Uh, Drummond is not a great defender, but he's a better, better, than, better than what they have behind Jared Allen right now, for example. And uh, in general, the Cavs are playing terrible basketball right now. So I'm... Holding that back a little bit because I don't want Hawks fans to be a little bit over uh, overconfident in this game because the Cavs are the worst team in the league right now. Like I, I do power rankings for Dime over on Uproxx, and I have I had the Cavs 30th last week. They will be 30th today. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, they are playing poorly. In fact, they are dead last in the NBA in net rating by quite a bit at minus 9.6 per 100 possessions. They've lost 10 games in a row also. Um, they are dead last in offense. They are 24th in defense. And honestly, they were in the top seven or eight defensively for a while at the beginning of the season. So they've been terrible since then on both ends of the floor, really. And during that 10 game, that, that 10 game losing streak, they have a net rating that is kind of mind boggling. It is minus 21.3 over 10 games, which is like historically terrible. I do have a stat courtesy of my friend Chris Manning, who's been a, has been a guest on this podcast, is the co host of the Locked on Cavs podcast. But Cleveland gave up 117 points. On Sunday, and 117 is not like an egregious figure in the NBA currently in the modern league with more offense, but that was the fewest points they've allowed in the entire 10-game losing streak. So the Cavs are not playing well, and defensively it's been a complete mess, especially without Nance, and their front court is kind of shaky other than Jared Allen. Their back court is pretty bad defensively. There's a lot of stuff to get into there, but Cleveland's not playing well. Um, I will say Cleveland is nine, as seven and nine at home, which is not great, but they're three and twelve on the road, so they're obviously better in their home building. I know home court's not really been a huge factor this season, but you still want to be re- you still rather be at home than on the road. 
and the Hawks do have to go on the road for this game up in Cleveland. So, you know, coming into the evening, the Hawks, uh, at least right now, are minus seven in terms of being a favorite, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. So the Hawks are a solid favorite. This is not an overwhelming favorite, though. Um, in fact, like 538 has the Hawks minus four, for instance. So the Hawks are the better team, uh, but they, they do have to go on the road. Cleveland is probably due for some sort of bounce back along the way. You're hoping that it's not exactly against the Hawks, but um, you know they're probably due for a better performance along the way some, somewhere. I will say this, though. The Hawks need to win this game. It's a back-to-back for Atlanta Wednesday back at home on the right side, but still have to travel to play Boston at home on Wednesday. And even with one on the road, one at home, the first game is still the much easier one of those two for Atlanta. In fact, this is the easiest game the Hawks have for the rest of the first half of the season because Cleveland is playing so poorly. So I don't want to overgas it. I don't want to I don't want to say too much about the Hawks needing to win this game, but the Hawks do need to win this game. They are the better team, and the line, uh, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag, definitely outlines that being a seven-point favor on the road. So we'll see what the Hawks do, and they've been playing better lately. Obviously, the offense, at least in for you know two and a half of the last three games, has been quite good behind Trey Young, who's been scalding hot recently. So if that continues in this game, the Hawks will be in good shape, and we'll have much, much more, of course, including a new podcast after the game on Tuesday. Okay, before we get to Andrew Kelly and uh, a myriad of topics, I will say, and we're from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is rockauto.com. With more makes and models than ever, it's now impossible to stock all the auto parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure questioning from a counter person that's often totally pointless, especially when they were only going to give you the parts or the brands that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have rockauto.com, either at home or in your pocket, and that is the best possible option. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always super low and the same for pros and yourselfers, so why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there you want to write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I am joined now by Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops, Twitter, and all over the internet. Thank you for joining me, my friend. I'd say I appreciate you coming back. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. So we talked pretty early in the year, I think after like five or six games of the Hawks season. Now we're at the 30-game mark, which isn't like a huge mark this year, but it's a nice round number. The Hawks are 13 and 17. Obviously, their net rating is around 500 mark. Um Obviously, had they've gotten all the normal storylines, the injuries for one are probably the biggest one, especially lately without without Hunter. But um, I want to get your thoughts, basically, kind of broadly on what we've seen so far, and then we'll kind of dr- probably drill down a little bit. So I guess I'll ask you this way: If I told you what the Hawks would have gotten or not gotten from all the free agents, and that Hunter would have missed two thirds of the season so far. Would you have been okay with uh, 13 and 17 and a slightly below average net rating after 30 games? Yeah, I would. And I think also that just speaks to how bad the, the East is. You know, if you if you told me those things, I would assume that um, they would be worse. And the fact that they're not far from six in the standings should really tell you a lot about the conference overall. But I do think it's a pretty good position right now. Yeah, I agree. And obviously they're going to have to play better than this eventually, uh, whether it's Hunter coming back or Bogdanovich coming back or them just kind of fixing what's going on in some respects. We've seen some flashes the last three games, of course. They've won two out of the last three. They've really only had one bad half 
in three games. They had that awful first half in the middle game against Boston, but they were even, you know, they were competitive down the stretch there. Obviously that coincides with Trey Young being pretty awesome. We'll talk about him more later on, obviously, um, and, and shots are falling overall, but, you know, offensively, I guess I'll ask, like, I've been kind of prone to saying a lot of this kind of goes as shots fall and especially as Trey goes, but they're, you know, they're above average offensively so far. They're 11th right now in cleaning the glass offensive rating. They're 12th in NBA.com. So they're above average, but not necessarily incredible offensively. Are you worried at all that this team is not going to be as good offensively as, as we might've thought that it was going to be? Or are you kind of just attributing that to Trey having kind of a slow start for him anyway, and some injuries? I'm not too concerned. Uh, they're 22nd right now in effective field goal percentage, but they're 10th in location effective field goal percentage, which is kind of like your shot mix. So they're getting good shots. They're just not falling at a great rate. And that can kind of be expected when you consider the personnel absences. When DeAndre Hunter's out, when you don't have Bogdanovich, Gallinari is shooting well below his career marks. And obviously they have some other guys like Reddish struggling. It's not, it's not too surprising. So I don't think that they're going to sustain sort of a, like a, a middle of the pack kind of offense right now. I'm just speaking overall, they're 16th in cleaning the glass points differential, 27th in the last two weeks. So the last couple of weeks have, have not been good at, apart from the last uh, two of the last three ones. But I, I do think as you start to see guys come back from injury and I think guys are going to return to form, then you're going to start to see like the effective field goal percentage pick up, the shooting percentages on three start to pick up. And I, I do still feel confident they're going to be a top 10 offense. It, it might not be sort of the borderline top five, top five offense we thought at the beginning of the season, but I do think they're going to find their way into the top 10. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, you know, it's people are probably laughing about this, but I often point to them having pretty good shot diet for the most part. And then just kind of missing a lot of shots the last couple of games, especially um, the last game that they played when they kind of, you know, had their foot to the fire the entire way and Trey was making everything and all that help them a little bit in this regard, but I really do think, and not to be oversimplistic, but they're going to make more of the shots they've had so far, especially when you factor in who's been taking them. And guys like, for instance, like Cam Reddish has been kind of unsustainably bad offensively. Click, Click Appella has not shot the ball as well as he usually does, which is kind of funny considering how good he still is, but he's not been as efficient as he was previously. You can kind of go up and down the roster and very few guys are shooting above their heads right now. Whereas, I could certainly point to a bunch of guys who I think are better shooters than they've been so far, not, not just three point shooting, but just kind of overall in general. Um, so that's part of it. And like you said, like some of it's just variance and all that, I, I guess the question I get asked more than anything recently, anyway, other than, other than Lloyd Pierce questions, which we will not do necessarily on this podcast today. I've done enough of that lately. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is like how, you know, is all of this just because of DeAndre Hunter? And my answer is kind of like, no, it's not all because of that, but since I have you here, like how much of their downturn, you know, they're four and eight without Hunter and they're nine and nine with him. That's simplistic, but how much of their downturn on both ends really is because he's not there right now. Well, I think a lot can be attributed to him. I mean, really before he went down, he had, in my opinion, a legitimate case as the best player in the season for them. And I mean, I know that's obviously high praise, but, and Trey had been kind of, you know, going through a cold streak um, for sort of the start of the season, but yeah, he's obviously tremendously affected them on both ends. Um, I believe they're eight points better defensively um, when they have him on there. So him being out hurts a lot defensively. And then just the lack of the shot creation is a big deal on, on offense. Um, you can see at the end of games where Trey can get a little bit fatigued. They have issues creating shots, especially when defenses start to pressure him and trap and try and get the ball out of his hands. 
if you can kind of limit his shot attempts and crunch time, you can really drag down Atlanta's offense. They just don't have other reliable shot creators. And that's where they're really missing Hunter. He was so good from mid-range before he went down. So he's definitely affecting them on both ends. But it's not all Hunter. I mean, they're just not shooting as well. If you look at putting the glass, like they're getting up a fair amount of threes, not as much as they were at the beginning of the season, but they're 18th in three-point frequency. And uh, I think they're about 19th. Yeah, they're, they're 19th in accuracy, which is a big step up from last year, but just not what you'd expect when you bring in guys like Bogdanovich and Gallinari. So I think the return of Hunter, uh, the return of Bogdan, uh, the return of you know Gallinari making threes, that's, that's going to obviously tick up. And like you said, Reddish has been sort of unsustainably low from deep. Um, so I think there's just going to be like a lot of positive regression and certainly getting Hunter back is going to help both ends. Yeah, he will fix a lot of ills whenever he returns. I want to ask you about Gallinari because uh, you are uh, you have been and I think I think still are pretty pro Gallinari overall. And I've been trying to defend him to people. Not that he has been good because I don't I don't think he has been, but I think it's worth just kind of acknowledging that he was he was and likely still is I will hope uh, a good a really good offensive player for a long time. And his, obviously his numbers are not great so far. I think notably he's taking fewer two point attempts this season basically than he ever has since he was a rookie and he's shooting sub 40% on twos. That is maybe an indication of his lack of burst. Like he was never the burstiest guy in the world. He's, he's still, you know, he's still maintaining a 57% true shooting, which is kind of impressive given how bad he's been in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm wondering how much concern you have about a guy that I know you're very high on because that's a question I get a lot as well as like, you know, is Gallo really going to be this bad, you know, both physically and just production wise, because if he's not going to give you as much on offense as they need, as they need out of him, it becomes tough because of his defense not being very good, obviously. Yeah. I think fans have a, have a right to be very disappointed with him. If this is really the first time and I don't know how long, maybe in his career, he's an outright negative on the court. It just doesn't happen very often. But if you kind of take a step back and you look around, he's hardly the only veteran that's had some issues this year. Uh, Eric Bledsoe hasn't had a great season for New Orleans. Ricky Rubio has not been great uh, for Minnesota. So these are a group of very good veteran players that are kind of struggling. This season just makes things more difficult. And then you're changing teams, changing roles, and that can compound the effects a bit. With Gallinari, he's just, he, he wasn't in shape coming into the season. I mean, you can kind of visibly see how slow he's been. And then the ankle injury just sort of compounded that and set him back further. And you mentioned that stat about how poor he's shooting on twos. I mean, if you just watch it, there's so many times where he just kind of throws a shot up. He just doesn't quite seem to have his legs under him. And I think he's just kind of getting frustrated and throwing stuff that doesn't have much of a chance to go up. Um, so, like I said, I think fans are, are, are very right to be disappointed, but I wouldn't bet on that continuing. Like, I don't, I don't think he's washed, you know, I mean, you, you can definitely see, um, he's not going to continue shooting like this like right now. I believe he's a 29 percentile in spot up situations for synergy. And that's just not a mark that you ever see from Gallinari similar to how Trey kind of struggled with his floater early on the season. And now it's starting to pick back up a bit. Like it's, he's shooting unsustainably uh, low rates from, from spot up situations. And I think you're going to start to see that tick up. So I think maybe by the all-star break, when he gets some time off and can kind of um, get some rest, you might see, uh, improvement from him over the second half of the season and I do expect that he will yeah I feel like he can't I'm knocking on wood here I feel like he can't be this 
that overnight in terms of his physicality. Maybe there was an injury that obviously had the ankle thing, but maybe there was more of an injury. Plus he's out of shape. Like you said, he's not moving well. He was never the greatest athlete, which we talked about a lot when they signed him, but it, this is another level. I think, you know, I've made this point before. I wonder if you agree. I think he's been their most destructive defensive player. Like, and that includes Trey. I think he's been worse than Trey. Defensively. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. And we'll get to Trey later, but yeah, he's, he's without a doubt been their worst defensive player. And that's been the main reason why he's been such a drag when he's been on the floor is just, he's, he's a sieve. Yeah. As bad as it's been for him. And we, again, I, I say bad, bad compared to what he normally brings offensively is still, you could argue he's still been a somewhat positive offensive player, which is kind of crazy. And that kind of tells you that when he's right, he is really, really good on offense because it's as bad as he's looked, he's still above that above league average and true shooting percentage despite the fact that he can't move and he's got no juice and all that because his, he gets guarded too. And that's a big thing. Even now you see it. If you watch, if you watch tape back as poorly as he has played in recent days, he still gets guarded. Like he's a big threat and that does help. He looked a little bit better to me. I don't want to be overzealous with this, but he looked a little bit better to me in terms of his movement on Sunday. Obviously yeah. a couple of dunks made me laugh a little bit, but uh, he yeah. was more aggressive to going to the rim. I thought. I, I agree with that. He, he did look a little bit better to me. He just seemed like he was, he was moving. Um, <laughs> I think it's better for him, I guess, is the yeah. way. And seeing two dunks was, was definitely uh, fun. It's also just tough when you're getting used to like a bench role. This is a guy who's been a starter for so long, and now he's coming off the bench where he's expected to carry the offense a little bit more. It's just it's harder for him to kind of get into a routine. And I think that's something that you're going to see him just improve on. I, I, like I said, I just I think it's sort of unsustainable that he's going to be this bad. And I think fans are right to be disappointed, but I do think you'll see him be a lot better going forward. Yeah, I uh, I tend to agree. And I think Hawks might have to hope because obviously it's a non-guarantee in year three, but next year he's still getting paid quite a bit. So if he's looking like this, you're going to hear more and more whispers, obviously. I've already been asked if he's going to be uh, bought out and that kind of stuff. I'm like, guys, it's, it's, it's year one, 30 games in. I get it, but it's uh, <laughs> it's been a little bit ugly so far. Um Last guy I want to ask you about, we, we, we both mentioned him so far, but I want to dive in a little bit more here is Cam. Um, you know, his numbers are really rough, like especially – actually his two-point shooting is troubling to me as well. I pulled this, and you, you might have as well, including in the class. He's 17 of 62 on two-point attempts that are not at the rim this year, which is really bad. Um, he's actually been better at the rim. If there's one thing that Cam has done offensively this season that's been encouraging uh, is that he's no longer – only so far this year been like absolutely awful at the rim. He's more like mediocre so far, which is a step up, but everything else offensively has been kind of a mess. So his defense is talked about a lot. He makes a lot of plays. I still buy him as a, uh, obviously a lottery pick and a lottery talent and all that stuff. He's still young, but you know, the longer this goes, there is growing concern. I would imagine about his offense. Are you, are you now worried about cam's offense or is this kind of another blip after he had that like sort of mini breakout last year? I would say I'm concerned, but not panicked. Um, really more concerned as for what it can mean like for his overall upside. Like I, I don't have a lot of concerns about him being someone who can at least be kind of like a spot-up shooter who can attack a closeout. Obviously, the efficiency will have to improve for that to be viable, but it's, it's more all the other stuff. I just think he can get really out of control. He, our friend uh, Glenn Willis has pointed this out too, but he can have ball handling issues. We just dribble is really high. He, like you yep. strip him, his decision making just hasn't been good. So there's just a lot of areas that he has to clean up to really be an effective offensive player. Because right now, I mean, he's he's clearly negative. So he has a, a long way to go there. Uh, he does draw fouls too. 
he just seems to get like a favorable whistle from the refs for whatever reason. And I think he, he does have like those really cool, like self-creation upsides where uh, self-creation upside where he'll, he'll come in inside the arc and do like some kind of spin move and hit a mid-range jumper. And it just looks so pretty when it goes in and you think, man, like if he could start to do this a little bit more, then the upside could be really high. And then, you know, he's airballing corner threes. So just like the consistency stuff is, is going to take time, but really he, he has the baseline of a defender and that's, that's a big deal. Like having a six, eight guy who can defend one through three, like he can and defend off ball is just like such a good asset to have. So you're just going to have to be patient with him while he figures things out on offense. Zach Lowe, I think wrote fairly recently about Cam basically pointing out what we've talked about, all the issues he's had while still being optimistic overall, just noting that this stuff is unsustainable. He's going to start to piece things together a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that as far as like ceiling, I would kind of pump a break uh, on people that, you know, will make like the Paul George comparisons and like things like that. I mean, Paul George was like a, a valuable three and D player in, in year two. And then he made the star leap in, in year three. And that's, it's hard to envision that happening for Reddish, but he can still be like an effective starting player. And I think he complements Trey really well with his defense. And eventually if the shooting can get there, that can be a very nice like three and D player with a little shot making upside and, and possibly some potential for self-creation. So yeah, I would say like I am concerned to a degree, but I'm not panicked and I'm still bullish for this future. I think we're pretty much in the same place on Reddish. I still like Reddish. I still believe that he will be a positive player. I think you could certainly argue that if the Hawks had all of their wings right now, he probably shouldn't play a ton. Like he would play still. But if you factor in, like someone asked me the other day, like given the way Cam is playing, if you had a healthy Bogdanovich and a healthy Hunter, and Herter and Snell and all of these options, like would Cam play 20 minutes a game? Less? I don't really know. I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's obviously theoretical right now because those guys are not healthy, but it's uh, coming into the year, we kind of thought that it might be Herter that got squeezed. And I think right now, given the way that they're all playing, you know, Herter struggled the last couple of games, but I think he's been better than Reddish this season overall. So I wonder what happens if Reddish continues to struggle and guys get healthy because you obviously need to play him, but at a certain point when you're trying to win, you can't give him the 28 minutes just out of obligation every night. So it becomes a question. I hope, I hope it doesn't matter. And he just improves quickly and that'll be a non-story, but I do wonder how it might shake out once everybody's back and healthy. Yeah, it could, but I still think his defense is just important, especially, I mean, I know you're, you're saying when guys are healthy and, and Hunter could be out, I mean, full April potentially. Um, yeah, so it's, I think gonna, it's gonna really... be a long time. People kind of people, people are kind of ignoring that right now. Like I, I know it's still, it feels like it's been a long time for Hunter and I'll let you finish, but he's going to be out a while longer. Like it's not, this is not imminent. <laughs> it's going to have to, they got another month plus I would imagine. So uh, figure that and out. They'll be, they'll be conservative with them too. I mean, he'll have a, a minutes restriction when he comes back and they'll have to ramp them up. So it'll be a while, but Reddish's defense is just so important. Yeah. I think even with the offense, just they don't really have anybody else with his size and mobility and length. They can kind of match up with guys, yeah. but he is someone that will obviously have to play better offensively. And, and I think he will. I've seen some signs recently uh even if the percentages haven't been there he just looks like a little bit more in control like he's taking the right kind of shots even if they don't go down you know you want him taking these open threes you want him making a good decision with the ball he just hasn't had the results yet and I think he's looked a little bit better and you'll start to see um, a little bit more um, uptick over the rest of the season I don't I don't, don't want to sound like I'm just being super optimistic on Gallo super optimistic on Reddish about them playing better but both those guys I think are just playing well below their you know what can be expected for them and I think it's natural to expect that they're going to improve. And again, I think it's also important finally to point out on Reddish, just like uh, 
development isn't always linear. You, you just can't expect guys to take a step forward and take another step forward. Sometimes they can stall or even take a step back and then improve from there. I mean, it happens a lot. Like these rookie deals are really more for development, especially for wing talent. And I think when Redis was drafted as a prospect, that was something that was always going to be, um, that was always going to be the path he was going to take. You know, he, he struggled at Duke. So he was always going to take time to sort of acclimate in the NBA. But I think if you're patient with him, there's a really interesting player there. Oh, for sure. And I think the defense is so valuable, like you point out there, that you can't give up on him. You're gonna, he's going to have a long leash. They obviously invested in heavily in him, and they like him for obvious reasons. He's still a really talented guy. It's just a talking point now where I think, you know, three months ago, four months ago, I'm sure you saw the same things that I did, where Hawks fans were uh, very, very, very excited about Cam, and with good reason. But I think a lot of those same people are now worried slash frustrated. And it's – I get it, for sure. He's not played particularly well. I just – He's an interesting time right now. I wanted to bring him up as a result of that. Um, you know, before we get to uh, some Capella talk, some more positive uh, talk on him and some Trey Young all-star stuff, et cetera, I do want to hear from our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing, but there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You can sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Andrew, uh, we focused a little bit on the guys who are struggling, so I want to make sure we get to Capella because Capella was someone – that I know we both liked coming in, and I think he has been better than anyone could have rationally expected this year. He's been awesome, particularly defensively. So that's all I'll say. I want to tee you up and uh, get your reaction to what we've seen from Click Capella so far through 30 games. That was a, a nice brief intro to Capella there. Um, yeah, he is. he's exceeded expectations, I think, I think pretty clearly. Based on current form, I think you have to say he's, he's their second best player right now, just as important as he's been defensively. And if he were to miss any length of time, I mean, man, we've talked about it. They would be in a lot of trouble. I mean, he's so important for their organization. But if you take a look at just sort of a few different impact metrics, and you know I'm a big stats guy, but... I love it. uh, (laughs) If you look at a couple estimated plus minus, so EPM, he's number 47 overall. And at B-Ball Index, they have a new metric. It's called LeBron, and uh, he ranks 32nd in that. So he's doing very well, top 50 in both. So he's just been a very good starter for them. He's also seventh in defensive field goal percentage at the rim among players who have at least 500 minutes and at least 150 rim contests. So he's in the top 10 as far as making guys miss at the rim once you sort of use basic filters. So he's having a a real huge impact on their defense. And I think he's so important. And that's one area too that I'll give the coaching staff a lot of credit. I think he's, he's really benefited from the shift from Houston where they have more of a switching scheme to where he is in Atlanta, where he has more opportunities to defend the rim. I think that's the best aspect of his defense. And he's playing 
I don't, I don't know all of his career marks off the top of my head, but uh, this has got to be one of his best years as far as defensive field goal percentage. And if he keeps this up um, in conjunction with improved offensive play, I mean, this is going to be pushing for one of his, uh, one of his best seasons. You had mentioned earlier that like his offense had sort of struggled at the beginning of the season, but now he's really starting to tick up closer to his career averages. I believe he's getting close to about 60% from the field. So yeah. I think you'll start to see him get to more of that sort of career 62% true shooting that he generally has. Um, so if he can continue to play better on offense in conjunction with his defense, I mean, he's, he's just a really, a really valuable player, a nice contract. And uh, when you look at units with Trey and Capella, they have 111 defensive rating for cleaning the glass, which is 59th percentile overall. And you'll take that with Trey. You know, if you have a Trey two-man unit with Capella and they're above average defensively, then you're really satisfied with that. So I think he's definitely exceeded expectations. I was a little bit concerned at the beginning of the season with, with the way he was moving, but he's just totally put that to bed. And he's been awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of quaint now that when he was not moving particularly well, I wasn't worried, but we definitely noted it. I know you did. I know I did. And others did. And I think rightfully so that he wasn't quite uh, as springy, as explosive as he normally was. And then suddenly you, you look now, he's averaging a career high in blocks, career high in rebounds, uh, leading league rebounds, uh, you know, all this stuff. And defensively, I'm, I'm with you. Like, they, they are definitely building their defense around Clint Capella in a smart way. You know, this is a point that I think a lot of us made coming into the year that he was, like, pretty much indispensable defensively. And that's that's been borne out even more so at this point. Like, they're 11 points better per, per 100 possessions when he, when he plays defensively. And it goes from basically they're terrible without him to pretty good with him. And that's a pretty big disparity. And that makes sense if you watch them. It also makes sense uh, as to who they don't have behind him right now in terms of like, you know, ready-made, rip-protecting right. seven-footers. But, man, yeah. he has been so good, and they just can't afford to be without him, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Yeah, he's he's absolutely their anchor, and he's important for the organ- organization and, and everything defensively. So we'll have to see if he can continue like this kind of impact. Most defensive metrics have him near the top of the league. So it's really about as much as you could ask for from him. I think as long as he can sort of give you – a decent floor in those lineups with Trey, then you're going to be really pleased with him. And if the offense looks like his career, his career marks, then it's going to be a fantastic season. Yeah, he was, uh, that was a strong move when it happened. I think looking back on it now, uh, I liked it when it happened, but the, the Hawks flipped a mid first round pick in a draft that no one loved for Clint Capella with three years of control left. And that, uh, that looks pretty good right now, I would say. Yep. <laughs> and it shows, it shows you too, just like the benefit of getting these picks. Because a lot of times the best use of them isn't even selecting a player. It's, you know, you put yourself in a position where a team is trying to pivot a bit and you can get like a good starter like Capella for something like that. So it, it just, it shows the value of having picks. Yeah, it really does. And, um, you know, that was a wise investment and he plugs the hole. I, I mean, I, I thought I thought to myself the other day, like what would have happened if they didn't plug that hole and they would have either way, if they hadn't traded for Capella, I think you and I both know they would have signed somebody. They would have acquired somebody at center. I'm not saying they would have gone without, but uh, you know, that was a big hole that they plugged. Let's just say, and he's, uh, he's helped them quite a bit. He's one of the biggest reasons why they're, what what they are, where they are right now. Um, The other, obviously the big reason is that Trey young is here. So uh, this is twofold. I want to talk about Trey for a second. And then I want to talk about all-stars because we're recording this Monday night, all-star reserves get announced on Tuesday. And Trey, you know, with all respect to Clint and John Collins, I think that Trey is the only one that has a real chance to be selected. Um, I think that maybe if you've got enough injury replacements, you might get Clint in there because Clint is kind of well-regarded and having a great season. But 
realistically, I think Trey is the only one that has a chance to be voted in the first time around. Um, but I want to start just about his play overall because he's been so good lately. I think defensively, this is the best he's ever been. Um, that's not really controversial. Like he was so bad early on, but he has been notably better. It doesn't mean he's good, but he's notably better. And his, his, his shooting is on track. Career best true shooting now after this recent surge. The Hawks, as usual, are way better with him on the court than when, the, when he's off the court. All that stuff is the usual, but I mean, is this the best Trey's ever been? Because it feels like it is, even though that's not necessarily the narrative that is happening publicly. Yeah, I think so. He, he's not scoring quite as much as he did last year, but the team is better. So that's that's kind of expected. Like you mentioned, he has the career high true shooting percentage, which is kind of funny considering that he had that really cold streak sort of at the at the beginning of 2021 where he was you know, just not shooting well. And now he's the best of his career. So it just shows you. I mean, a lot of that is also like free throws. He's just such a good foul drawer. But that's always going to give him like a nice offensive floor there. But he's also uh, got a career high three point percentage right now. Definitely the volume has come down. I would like to see that tick up a little bit more as the season goes on, just staying aggressive because they really, they really do just go with Trey, you know, like the, the Hawks are as good as Trey is effectively. So when he's aggressive and he has these big scoring nights, it just powers the whole offense. So he's got to continue to uh, stay aggressive. And we've talked about too in the past about how he sort of struggled on those, like those floaters, which have always been his, his signature shot. And you're starting to see that get better. He's up now to 37 percentile overall, which is, I mean, well below his career marks, which are usually in like the low to mid 80s. But you definitely saw um, in the game last night how, how they're starting to get it going. And I think he'll find a touch more of that. Again, I, you know, I expect more positive regression there. Um, so I think when he has the floater going, he's just so hard to guard because it's, it, it's such a weapon when, he, when he's able to hit those. And uh, it opens up a lot of his offensive game. But what's really, I think, driving – this season and why I think it's been his best overall is just like you said, his, his defense is the best it's ever been. And I don't, you know, want to give him too much credit because he, he's still like a very poor defender who can be exploited when defenses are really honed in on him. But the effect overall has, I mean, you, you've got to be pleased with it right now. He's 18th percentile in defensive EPM last year, he was third percentile. So, I mean, when you're moving from like bottom five to like bottom 20, I mean, that's, that's a huge difference. And that definitely like increases his overall effectiveness. And when you go through those metrics, it's interesting too, because he grades out better than guys like Lillard or John Morant. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, he's a better defender than these guys, but if he's not, you know, if he's in their tier as a defender, like that's, that's a really big deal. Just not being the worst defender in the league is, is really important. Um, so what, they've done a better job of just, I think, just sort of hiding him. And he's done a better job of competing too. Like he, he will actually try and be physical. He'll try and, uh, I mean, he, he tries for longer stretches, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, so if he can maintain sort of this defensive impact that he has now while also increasing sort of his three-point frequency, I think it could be like a monster year, assuming the floater comes along. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of all talked about this previously, but – the thing with Trey's defense is basically always been don't be the worst. Like no one th thinks he's going to be good at any point, but as right. long as he's not terrible, it's a win. And right now he's still bad, but he's way better than he was. And you can live with where he is now. And he'll probably still improve. I think, honestly, he has, he has flashes. Um, and this, again, I, our theories, at least that I've, I've sort of espoused is that I thought he'd be better defensively as he had more help offensively. And, that I think is still going to be the case, but this this year he's all, his help offensively has not necessarily been there uh, as as wild as it is. After all the investments yeah, the Hawks right. made, that hasn't really happened still. So 
Oh yeah, and also the other thing I wanted to point out, you talked about um, how Trey, how the Hawks are basically going as Trey goes, and this is always the case on some level for stars, but his win loss splits are truly wild. Um, in wins this year, when he has played, he has a seventy percent true shooting in thir- in thirteen wins, seventy percent. He has, it's it's fifty one forty ninth from three and ninety one from the free throw line at 33 points a game in wins, which is obviously that's ridiculous. No, no one can do that, but that kind of tells you that when he's good, the Hawks are winning when they lose. Uh, and obviously he's missed two games in which they lost both of them. So the 15 losses that he has played in his true shooting is 52%, which isn't a disaster, but it's obviously way, way, way worse than normal. And especially his non-free throw shooting has been really rough. He's shooting 37% from the floor and 25.6% from three in losses. So it's obviously not this easy. It's not as easy as, you know, if Trey shoots well, the Hawks win. But the, there is strong correlation there this season. It's obviously a small sample size again, but you can't overstate. Like, when he's on, the Hawks are tough to beat. And we saw that in the last couple of games, honestly. Like, he was really, really good, and um, they were cooking off on offense as a result. He, he, still, he still needs help. They, they have to get stops and all that. But uh, it's about as stark as you'll ever see through 30 games of uh, a, team win, a, a team wins when he plays that well and they lose when he, when he doesn't, basically. Yeah, it, it really is. And Mike Prada had an article recently, which I thought was really good. And I think people should read sort of critiquing some aspects of uh, the Hawks offense, sort of a lack of off ball movement and uh, maybe Trey's tendency to hold the ball for a long period of time. And while I think a lot of that is valid, I think it's like just really worth pointing out how good their offense is just when, when he's on the floor. Yep. So when he's cooking and you just sort of let Trey be Trey, like when they have a good offense, which are young on the floor, um, so I'm really interested to see how it can look when he starts to get more maximized offensively. Like when you have Bogdanovich out there for kickouts rather than Cameron. So I think, I think Bogdanovich will, will start when, when he's back. And when Gallinari starts to get up to speed, you can just really see how when they start to spread the floor with, with the shooters they added, they can become even more damaging offensively. But I think really, especially until Hunter returns, it's going to be very important just for Trey to, be Trey. Like you, you need him to try and get those 30, 10 kind of nights to carry your offense because they don't have the secondary creators that they would um, if they were at full health. So if he can sort of just stay aggressive, I mean, if he had that one game where he didn't attempt a three, just avoid nights like that. That's going to be important. And also they've got to get better at dealing with, uh, with traps. They just don't really have the personnel right now. Um, you've seen it in matchups with, with, with Charlotte when they just try and force him to give up the ball. Um, they're just, not very effective offensively really you should be better when you have two guys on tray just look the other guys should be able to win those matchups but the lack of shot creation and i think just ball handling does really affect them so they just kind of got to keep their heads above water i think until hunter comes back and then you'll start to see them approve a lot offensively yeah i mean it really is worth pointing out that amid all the frustrations that i've seen and some of the tray um criticism which i you know some of it's not uh, reasonable some of it is sometimes but when he's, when he's on the floor this year they have a 115 offensive rating and that is like top five top six in the league like he's still driving a good offense when he's on the court and they're awful when, when he leaves the court and it's really that simple in a lot of ways which is a good point of transition I think to, to the all-star conversation because all-star stuff is happening um, you know after he started last year I think everyone assumed he was going to make the team this year on some level and you know if you look if you look at it a little bit closer it's kind of a photo finish. Uh, I did my all-star reserve picks for dime at the end of last week. I did pick Trey, but it wasn't a no brainer. 
um, I had Trey basically as like either number 11 or number 12 on my list. And the way that it breaks down does not necessarily hurt him, but it doesn't, you know, it's not just a, a wide open, you know, top seven guys uh, on the reserve list. It's two guards, three, three front court players, and then two wild cards. And I think, I wonder if you agree with me on this. I think in practical terms, I'm not saying this is definitely what it should be, but I think based on everything that, that I've heard or expect to happen, I would be pretty shocked if James Harden and Jalen Brown were not the two reserve guards in the Eastern conference. I think Harden's an absolute lock and Brown is leaning towards lock status. If that's true, then he's got to be one of the three wild cards and we'll get into this in a, in a second, but there's a lot of guys. I'm not saying that again, I, I picked Trey, I wrote it down. I it's in print. Um, but I think it's not as easy as you might think if, as a Hawks fan. I, I'm sure people are like, what, obviously Trey Young's an all-star and you know what, what Pierce said that at one point he's like you know obviously Trey's an all-star and I think you know we'll see uh so I wonder what you think about this Andrew like do you think he's gonna get in a and b do you think he should get in I think he should get in and again I'll go back to the impact metric stuff I mean when you look across those he's just really better than uh most of the competition there at least by that by that measure and when you look at how he drives Atlanta's offense he's just really carrying such a high load that few players can duplicate that. And I think he should be rewarded for it, especially the defensive improvements that he's made. And it's funny to think because he started last year, but we, we just discussed earlier that this has, in my opinion, been his best season. So it's weird to think that he could be left off. And I actually do think he will be left off just looking at the, the competition and um, just, you know, my read of how I think it's going to go with guys like Jalen Brown having big seasons, even Zach Levine having a big season. I think he probably will get left out, but he, he would be in for me. Yeah, I don't, it's tough because it's one of those things where the coaches are voting here and it's not exactly a situation where you know what they're going to be voting on. Like if this was a media vote, I would have a probably better idea of what to expect and what the media might value. Um, but coaches and especially like they often pass this stuff along to staffers in my experience from what I've heard. Like it's not, it's kind of a black box. I'm not sure what they're going to be looking at. Uh, you know, Trey is the best player on a team that is in playoff position, but the Hawks are 13 and 17, which is not going to, you know, turn heads necessarily. And you have all these guys that he's competing with who are either on better teams than he is or like better have better, like narrative stories. Like for example, two guys here that could have uh, wild card cases, Zach Levine, and Julius Randle. Zach Levine has just been unconscious all season long for the Bulls. The Bulls are probably overachieving on some level. Um, they've been decent enough. I mean, they're not like incredible or anything, but I think if you looked at what they've been dealing with, he's been the biggest reason that he probably, that, along with that, you know, I guess that they've been pretty competitive this season and they have a half game edge on the, on the Hawks right now, but Levine shooting numbers are ridiculous. That, that's one example. Julius Randle, same thing. The Knicks are a pretty positive story. The Knicks have been terrible for a long time. And the Knicks right now are the seven seed and Randall's numbers again are off the charts, his traditional numbers, anyways, boss score numbers. So do I think Trey young is better than both of those guys? I do. Um, I would take him over both of those guys, but I'm not sure that the narrative is going to go in that direction. And by the way, that's only two guys. There, there are others. Uh, you know, you're Ben Simmons, you're, Demona Sabonis, your Jimmy Butler, who I know you love. Um, Gordon Hayward is a, a sort of in the mix here, maybe like Fred Van Vliet's on a good team. There's all kinds of guys. And I think honestly, it's coming down to 
three spots that are probably open on some level. I think Harden, Brown, Middleton, and Tatum are pretty much locks to make it, which and that leaves one front court spot and two wild cards. So Trey's got to beat a lot of these guys to get in. And I can't decide if I think he's going to get in. I think he should. Again, I, I think he should get in. I just... I won't be surprised either way, which is like the worst possible answer. But I think it's like right on the line where I won't be surprised. It's kind of yeah, uh, it, it, it's it's borderline. It's pretty. I mean, I, I, like you said, I, I think he should get in. But when you when you really start to dive into it, like the Hawks' record isn't that good. There's just a lot of things that I think are working against them. And obviously, you know, Harden moving, Kyrie Irving coming back, and you know the aforementioned leaps from Levine and Brown. I think there's just like a lot working against them. I mean, Butler has missed a lot of time this year, so that's something that could affect him. Yep. Um, so he could potentially get or Trey could potentially get in over him, but well, it's, it's going to be close. honestly, but I, I know you, I know you love Butler. The only reason why Butler is not a lock is because he's been hurt and missed like what, like 15 games, 12 games, something like that. Yeah, Like games, nor- normally like that. Butler is basically like coaches love Jimmy Butler for one. Like he's a guy that would be in the lock category. I think for me, if he hadn't had, had injuries um, and that might help, but that front court spot, you know, it's probably going to be what bam versus Julius Randle. Versus maybe some bonus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you factor in that, you know, that, that, that leaves two spots for Trey Levine, uh, Randall, etc. Like the way that I did it was Harden Brown, Middleton Tatum, bam. And my wild cards were young and Levine. So I left, I left Randall off. I left Simmons off that it was tough. It's and I left Butler off too, because of the, because of the games played. And, you know, I will just say this, this is not a constellation necessarily, but I do think if there is an injury replacement, Trey is maybe number one on the list because the game's in Atlanta and he would be deserving. As we, we, we both just said that he's deserving anyway. But I think if you're Adam Silver and you have an injury to fill in the Eastern Conference and the game's being played in Atlanta, your first call is probably Trey Young, I would imagine. Maybe not. But yeah, if there's like some kind of injury play. swap. Yeah, if there's like some kind of injury swap or something like that, he'll, he'll get in. I mean, he's close. It's, it's just going to be like a photo finish. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do a half hour on this, but I wanted to ask you since you were here and you uh, you observed these things. You know, all stars are tough because Trey will undoubtedly. This is totally unfair, but Trey will Trey will get weighed down by some voters because of the team's record. Even though you and I and Hawks observers know that he is quite clearly not the reason why they have struggled so far. They are what eight or nine points per hundred possessions better with him on the court. It's the same thing as All NBA last year, where he had a pretty interesting All NBA case. And there was just no way he was going to get all, all NBA because of the team record. And sometimes the team record is overstated. This is one of those times because he is not the reason for it. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. And uh, for my, for my picks, I would go, I would go Trey and Harden as my starting uh, reserve or not my starting, my, my reserve backcourt. I think those are just, once you get past uh, Beal and Irving, those guys I think need to be in there. And I would have Tatum, Middleton and Bam to sort of fill out the the front court. I think Middleton's just always he's just always so good. He's money man, and uh, Bam has really made more of a leap this year offensively with some of like the shot making stuff that he's shown. And then for uh, my wild cards, I would go Ben Simmons. I mean, I know his numbers aren't like super gaudy, but he's having a great defensive year, and he's playing a lot better offensively too of late. And the Sixers have been so good. I I, I think he should get in. And what it comes down to is that last spot and. I would, I would go Jalen Brown, but I'm not as enamored with him as others. And I would really love to give it to Levine just to reward him because I, I, they're only, when you look at Boston, 
I think Chicago is only like a game and a half back and they just feel like they don't deserve two, two all-stars. I mean, I got to go Tatum there. So I would like to go Levine, but I, I will reward uh, Jalen Brown. I guess the Marietta made Jalen Brown with his, with his <laughs> first one for the East. Yeah, I think he's going to get it. I mean, that's the, it's the thing where I, I kind of agree that I'm not sure Brown should be a lock, but I think he probably is in practical terms. Based on what yeah, I agree with that. Um, right. And it's, it's kind of philosophical too. We'll, we'll stop on this in a second, but I, I think all-star picks are also like, what are you looking for? Because if you're picking the best player, like full stop and not just looking at just pure resume from the first 30 games of one season, that would probably help Trey, I think in my mind. And that I think, I, I just think Trey is better than Jalen Brown. I think Trey is better than Zach Levine. I, I know yeah. Trey is better than Julius Randle. Like he's better than these guys. It's just, you know, especially Levine, and to some extent at Brown as well, those guys are just having really, really awesome first halves. And especially shooting numbers, like, like Levine's shooting numbers are crazy. <laughs> you can't ignore like, yeah. he shoot like he's, 40% he's been three. ridiculous. Yeah. And like I said, I hate, I hate having to leave him out. I mean, he's been a player I've never like, you know, been enamored with, but Same. This, this season he's just made this leap. He just seems like a winner to me. Like his, his defense has been better than it has been in the past. And like I said, I think Boston's only like a game and a half uh, behind Boston. Or excuse me, Chicago's only like a game and a half behind Boston. And Levine's the driver of that. I mean, they would be terrible without him. And it would, it would be cool to, to see him get in. Jalen Brown, just I mean, the self-creation leap he's made this year has just been ridiculous. I mean, I, I didn't see it coming. Um, so I'm willing to give him the nod, even if I think some of his defense sort of gets overstated. Like, I don't, I don't think he's a defender that a lot of people think. But he does feel like a lock, so I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, it's, it's more likely than not if Trey gets in, it's, it's going to be as one of the wild cards. And I'm curious to see with Simmons, too. I just think that this season has kind of gone under notice. Like, he's played a lot better than I think a lot of people realize just because of his, his, his stats aren't, like, you know, jump out at you. Yeah. Um, so I think he's somebody who should get in, too. And that just sort of furthers the argument that it's, it's going to be close. Yeah, I mean, I think if I had made my picks – in print six days later, I might've had Simmons in there because Simmons had a couple of really awesome offensive games recently and that he didn't have the numbers for previously and the numbers aren't, aren't everything, but uh, yeah, a, a never ending debate we could probably have on this, but uh, on the record, both Andrew and I would pick Trey young to make the all-star game. And I will, uh, I will react to that tomorrow night, whether, whether he gets in or whether he doesn't. Um, all right. Last thing, and people can log off if they'd like to on this conversation, but uh, this is a non Hawks, non I guess it's kind of basketball related. Uh, there's this thing called NBA top shot that Andrew has informed me of in some ways. It's become a, a rather large story uh, in NBA circles in sports circles and all kinds of circles. Um, I know very little about this, so I'm going to ask Andrew to explain it. I will just say this at the top. This is not us giving financial advice. That's important to point out here. I, I just want to kind of discuss it briefly and have Andrew explain it to me in, in a simple terms, because I'm, uh, I'm old and washed and don't really understand this stuff, but essentially it's a phenomenon of this uh, officially licensed digital collectibles. And I'm sure people on the internet have seen all of this, but uh, since I had Andrew here and he knows stuff about this, that I don't know. Andrew, please explain NBA Top Shot to me and, and listeners that may not understand what it is. Yeah. And like you said, it, this is not financial advice in any way. I want to make that clear. Like it's important for everyone to assess their own risk. Do not, just, do not just know. follow any, anything we say on this. Do not, do not go spend yeah. your life savings on NBA Top Shot. Right. Don't, don't go and like take out like a personal loan or like a, a third mortgage or something like that to, to try and to try and buy NBA Top Shot clips. Essentially, it's a difficult thing to explain 
But what you are buying are things called NFTs or non-fungible tokens, which is a blockchain technology. And I know I'm going to lose some people. Or you I lost me just now. I'm, I, think I, I, think I'm, I think I'm going. That was it for me. Yeah, yeah. That's the hard part. That's, that's the hard part. And they come in the format of basically a highlight clip. So you'll get like a John Morant dunk or a Trey Young, you know, three-pointer. And you get this highlight. You buy the highlight, right? It doesn't mean that you own it. Like you don't get exclusive rights that people watch it on YouTube, but you own the NFT, the token that it comes behind. Okay. Um, so essentially what it is, is like a digital version of a sports card. And when you have physical sports cards, which are having a huge boom right now, if you yeah. keep up with that industry at all, you have issues with fraud and theft. You have to make sure your corners don't get damaged. Um, it, there's less liquidity. And with these, it removes a lot of the hassle and it puts it online. Um, so that way, if a guy has a big game, you can, you know, he'll go up a little bit um, and then, then you could sell that moment and, and make a profit if you would like. So it, it sort of opens up um, sort of like a lot of different angles for speculation. You can think about how a guy might improve or go down in the future and make moves accordingly. And it's, it's really just like a, a lot of fun. It's, it's kind of like a, like a stock market exchange, sort of like for athletes. And it's something that once you kind of get past the initial skepticism of it, like, oh, I'm buying a GIF, like, is this what I'm doing? And you start to kind of work your way into it. You can see the appeal. Like if I explained daily fantasy to you like 10 years ago, you might've thought like, why would I just want to pick, you know, random players and guess how they're going to do. But we've obviously seen how, you know, FanDuel and, and DraftKings have, have grown. And I think it's kind of like the next step as far as like fantasy sports because it kind of boils down to just open speculation and trading. Um, so I realize it's kind of like a dense explanation. It's hard to really make clear what it is. And yeah. I think Brian, Brian Winhurst uh, on ESPN, he wrote about it last week. And I think that's a pretty good overview. Um, but again, I, I do stress that you need to assess your own risk. And right now it can take a month or two for you to even be able to withdraw. So that's something that you should think about as well. But it is fun. And if you're going to do it, then, you know, look in the packs. They do pack drops periodically and uh, just, you know, get players you like. Yeah, I, I have been watching passively and uh, listening to people talk about this a lot. Um, by the way, to your point about, about Windhorse, I would definitely encourage people to read. That's the story that I learned the most from is uh, what Brian wrote on ESPN. And also he tweeted today, I'm not sure if you saw this, that since the story seven days ago, Top Shot's numbers are, have gone through the roof even more, basically. Um including like their, their peak in the last 24 hours is a pretty crazy amount of money. And uh, people, the people on the side are going up every day. There's been explainers on Bleacher Report. I saw one, uh, I saw one on the ringer. There's all kinds of content. This is, this is now the, uh, the, the very popular internet thing today, which is cool. Uh, I'm again, I, I'm not in this game right now, but I think it's interesting to follow a new thing and kind of, talk about it and uh I, I joke with andrew that i i have no idea what he's talking about i generally don't but <laughs> I, I try to follow along and kind of nod along to make sure that i am uh, yeah, engaged it, it, so it's hard to get and once you kind of grasp that you're it's basically just digital sports cards and like just yeah. throw out the blockchain it's not like a cryptocurrency or anything like that you start to kind of get the concept you, you get why it can be addicting it's something that i do think is cool is uh the players union actually gets a cut from every sale well, player, players, players keep tweeting about it too. Like, I feel like every day there are three, four, five players that I see tweeting, like, all right, what's top shot? Tell me about it. And then people talk about it. They start buying it. And it seems pretty, it seems pretty, pretty interactive. And like, again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, but this is officially licensed. Like the NBA is like behind this. They're not, right. um, they're not 
disavowing this like it's not a separate a separate thing like they're they're involved which is interesting to me on some level but uh it does reward the players um at some point along the way i'm not sure how it all, how it all works but they do know what's going on it's not this separate market like and to your point the player association is involved so that's uh i think a, probably a good thing overall at least in my limited experience but i'm just guessing yeah i, I think so too it's nice to see players benefit and and one final note on, on Top Shot, uh, if you look up Jonathan Bales, who was one of the co-founders of Fantasy Labs, he wrote a piece uh, about mid-January detailing why he spent uh, $35,000 on a John Morant dunk. Um, you can find that. <laughs> it's a Substack. Sub if you just Google um, Jonathan Bales, John Morant, it'll, it'll come up. And that's a very good deep dive. So if you're curious about it at all, it'll explain more about the appeal. I would recommend that. But again, assess your own risk. Yeah, there is some uh, interesting content out there if you want to read for it. And honestly, I will be surprised if I discuss it again on this podcast <laughs> in the near future. But uh, it's unless it's, a, unless it's a an ad read, Brad, you never know. Yeah, maybe Top Shot will uh, will invest in the Locked On Podcast Network, and I will be talking about it in the way that I do with Built Bar. Uh, and shouts <laughs> to Built Bar, by the way. Thank you, Built Bar, for sponsoring the podcast. As always, Rock Auto on this show, BetOnline.ag. Follow our sponsors. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. You should follow our sponsors, but yeah, uh, one day, to Bilt Bar. Yeah, shout out to Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar carries me. I, people think I'm joking. I, I eat a Bilt Bar almost every day. They're really good. Anyway, Andrew, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Uh, please fire off any final thoughts that you would like to and uh, plug yourself. You have a very, very uh, interesting and informative Twitter account that people should be following. If you're a Hawks fan, not following Andrew, you are doing it wrong. So uh, please share that as well. Well, appreciate it, man. Uh, you can follow me at A N D. L-A-N-K-E-L-L-A Kelly uh, is my handle. I'll write periodically for Peachtree Hoops when, when I feel like it. I'm mostly on, on Twitter and I do like stats and film. Um, if anyone ever has any questions like about stats or anything like that, you can always shoot me a DM. Um, but enjoy talking to people. It's always fun and uh, follow me on Twitter. Again, I recommend following Andrew. Check out his stuff. He's written some very good things on Peachtree Hoops as well. Uh, and yeah, please subscribe to this podcast. If you would like to rate, review, all that fun stuff, we'll be back again after the riveting game on Tuesday between the Hawks and the Cavs, and uh, we'll see you all next time.